good morning, Victory Life Church. Welcome. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my great privilege to greet you today. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to ex express a very special welcome to you and would encourage you to check us out at vlchurch.com. And there is a banner that says, are you new here? If you can click on that banner and complete that form, I will communicate with you sometime this week. And also, if you're new here, we have reinstated our nice little gifts. And so if you like coffee and you like coffee mugs, stop, stop by the Welcome Center afterwards, and I will give you one of these uh, just for joining us today. And uh, if you're joining us online, just email me, and I'll get you one of these. I'll put it in the mail for you. Um, speaking of new things, uh, we are going to launch our next installment of Growth Track. And so if you are relatively new to Victory Life Church and uh, you want to make Victory Life Church your home, Growth Track is the class for you. Uh, we're going to be starting our next Growth Track installment on October 17th during our first service. It's going to be on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. So if you want to learn about how our church works and how you can get connected to a growth track for you and your spiritual journey, you can join us uh, for that next session. It will be during first service, as I mentioned, in room 307, and pastries and snacks will be included. So you don't even have to eat breakfast beforehand. Just show up and we'll have some goodies, and you can sign up online at vlchurch.com. Also, we're really excited about starting our children's intensives that are going to be starting here in a couple of weeks on Wednesday nights. We mentioned them last week. We have classes for children and we have classes for parents, uh, the main focus of which is going to be all on building a biblical worldview for our children on their level and also all about how to build a biblical worldview for parents so that they can go home and talk to their children about what it means to base your life on truth as it's found in God's Word. So these classes will occur from October 13th through November 17th on Wednesdays, as I said, from 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. You can go to our children's ministry page at vlchurch.com and sign up for those classes. Also, I mentioned last week that we are going to have a baptism service on November 7th. We, we value baptism very much here, uh, not the least of which because Jesus himself valued baptism. Jesus was baptized before he was ordained into his ministry. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, that if you believe in God and you are baptized, you will be saved and therefore spend the rest of eternity with the Lord. And so if you'd like to get baptized, uh, you can go to our website and click on our baptism banner and get signed up uh, to do so on November 7th. So that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come this morning to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can text to give, you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping, worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings. Can I ask you to stand in preparation for worship uh, this morning? Let's pray together. Father God, we are in this place because we believe in you. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we not only believe in you, but we believe you. We believe you when you say, when my people lift up my name, I will draw all men to myself. That is our heart today, God. May you draw others to yourself because of our worship of you. We love you, Lord, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's declare his praise today in this place. He's a good and faithful God. He's worthy of our worship. Let's declare what we believe. Let's tell him. And I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe. 
every situation. He has the power. He has the strength. There's no one like him. We speak the name of Jesus into every circumstance in our life. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you. None in all the earth. There's no one like you, Jesus. In every situation, no one like you. No matter where we're at, Jesus. You declare his name, he's there. There's no one like you. He wants to meet your need. There's no one like you. Would you surrender it to him this morning? Would you give it to him this morning? Whatever it is. There's no one like you. Nothing's too big for him. Jesus, there's no one like you. city of Ephesus and he was thinking back on what he had witnessed and what he had seen when he had experienced the presence of the Lord Jesus in his life and he wrote some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture you can find them in John chapter 1 he said of Jesus in him was life and that life was the light of men in him was life and that life was the light of men. Folks, the same life that the Apostle John wrote about, the same light that he wrote about is here today. He's been revealed to you today. He wants to be present in your life today. He wants to remind you that the darkness has not overcome the light, that he has overcome he said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus today. Remind yourself that in him is life, and that life is your light. Let's just declare it one more time. There's no one like you. Make it your prayer. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you have made yourself known to us, that you are as real as anything that we can taste or touch, smell, see, or hear. And that, Lord Jesus, you have come into this world to make a difference in the lives of men and women. I pray, Lord, that we would have the temerity, the wisdom, whatever our own makeup may call it, to call upon your name. That same Apostle John said, for as many as believed him, as called on his name, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of the living God. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've made us each adopted children of your Father in heaven. Help us to claim our status as those who belong to the King. And I pray, Lord, for those who came in here with a heavy spirit today, that it would be lifted in light of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt, one of the pastors here at VLC, and it is our privilege to be able to worship with all of you today. Uh, it's also our privilege to have been able to worship this morning with our young disciples, but you can now be dismissed 
few K through sixth graders who are part of our Young Disciples program. So, so long, farewell, Alphavita Sane, adieu to you and you and you. All right, you got your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in three different passages today, all in the book of Acts. We've been following some threads through the book of Acts, as you might have noticed. So today we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to be in chapter 9, and we're going to be in chapter 11, and we're going to watch how two of the threads that we have been looking at over the course of the past three weeks are going to come together for us. We're going to bring two threads together, and that's why we're going to be in some different passages today. I'm going to be real candid with you this morning, going to, going to give you a window into my soul. Many of you know that since I became the lead pastor here at Victory Life, there has been a battle going on that can only be considered both terrible and violent. And uh, it's something that I don't like to talk about often, but once in a while from the pulpit I give you an update about this terrible battle. And the battle has been against flooding on our property uh, due to beavers who like to live here. As you know, there is a great big creek that runs the entire length of our property right smack dab in the center. And just about this time of year, we get one to two new inhabitants on our property. And they build dams. And they flood our proper property terribly. You say, don't you have a trapper? Oh, yes, we do. And when we catch those beavers, we send them to the beaver sanctuary. Right? There are, is no beaver sanctuary. But that does not alleviate the problem of the dam, does it? Because a lot of times they'll create it before we know that their presence is here. And so as a distraction, something I do to sort of get out of the office and, and serve and love all of you is I go break down these beaver dams. And at, at first I, I would go and I'd stand on the banks of the river because I don't want to go in the creek because it's cold and it's muddy and it's gross and who knows what's floating downstream. And, and I would stand at the banks and I'd try to break it up and I'd get a little path going through and all of a sudden the water would run again and I'd be happy, but the beavers would rebuild it unless they'd been caught. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I don't, I don't want to get into this water, but I need to get further onto these dams. So I went and got my grandpa's old knee-high boots from when he was a linesman for Ohio Edison. And, and I wore those things out in the last five years. I put holes in them to the point where they were no longer doing the job. And so I went all in. I got myself a pair of really nice waders. Yeah, come right up to here. So I can get down on that dam and kind of around that dam and, and, and break up this stuff. But I want to tell you, Beavers are very good at the work that they do. It's very impressive. And, and the truth of the matter is, no matter how I got in there, and Joe's been in there with me. Thank you, Joe. God bless you for the times that you've battled them with me. Uh, the, 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 you just can't quite get at everything you need to get at. Well, last November, something happened that had been needing to happen for about five years. I was balancing precariously on a log like this, breaking up one of the dams at the bottom of the property, and I lost my balance and went headfirst into the creek in my waders. And all of that wonderful November invigorating water went straight into my waders and all the way down. It was freezing. So I stood up gasping. And then I thought to myself, well, I can really get at this dam now. So I stayed there waist deep. And I broke down that dam like never before. And from that time to this, I, th I thought to myself, you know what, I've got my waders and I'm going in. And now that I go in and now that I get fully immersed, I get the job done. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. You can use the pavilion all fall long because of my great, but I, I, it really is, it's fun for me, it's kind of a distraction, but, but I, I, I never really could get at those beaver dams until I got fully immersed. So I thank God for the day. I fell in. I also thank God for the foresight of those who built the swing of the church, who put showers in. Anyhow, I want to talk to you today about our, 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 our year-long theme that we've just begun about four weeks ago. We've been talking about how as we pursue the presence of the Lord, we hear the voice of the Lord. And as we pursue that voice and listen to that voice and obey that voice, God's going to put us on mission. He's going to put us on task, and we're going to be doing things for him that he's called us to do. And they're going to be powerful, and they're going to be meaningful, and it's going to lead people closer to Christ. We've also talked about how that we need to have a place to lead them when God puts us in this position. And it is our job, it is our, our, our place as disciples of Jesus Christ to help connect people to the church and to other folks who are in the church in order to be discipled themselves. 
And as we as individual Christians pursue the voice of the Lord in the presence of the Lord, and as we connect others to the mission of the church, we'll see God's kingdom ignite. And we talked about someone who really brought about an ignition last week who unabashedly, unabashedly pursued the voice of the Lord and connected someone to the church, and his name was Ananias. See, this man was the guy who got Paul connected to the church. He went and made sure that the man who was named Saul, but who you know as Paul, became a Christian and got connected to a church for the very first time. Well, I want to take you now to a man that I call the Great Connector. This is one of my heroes in Scripture, somebody who really knows how to get someone connected to all that God has for them. And he really is somebody who ignites the church, but he doesn't get a lot of run. We don't talk about this guy a lot. You don't hear a lot of sermons on this fella, but I want to talk about him today because this was someone that ignited the church just as much as Ananias. See, he wanted all that God had for the church, but he also wanted all that God had for other people. He believed in the mission of the church, but he also believed that he was called to disciple others. Now, he's not a man that gets the glory, and he wasn't necessarily the preacher, wasn't even necessarily always the leader, but he's somebody who took seriously the mission that God had given him and fully immersed himself in the work that God had given him to do. I'm going to talk to you today about three different pain lines that he crossed. If you were here last week, we introduced the concept of crossing a pain line for God. And we're going to watch as this great connector crosses three pain lines and changes the world forever. You might have heard about this man before. His name is Barnabas. And he is who I like to call the great connector. And we get introduced to this gentleman in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and following. And it takes us back to a thread that we talked about three weeks ago, that there was this church, this early church, this first church in Jerusalem that had a very specific mission. Like with all churches, their job was to make more disciples and lead people to Jesus. But they were going to be the seedbed for all the churches in the world. And therefore, people would come to Jerusalem, they'd come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they'd want to stay so they could learn more about what it meant to follow the Savior, what it meant to follow the Messiah, because these people are eventually going to go all over the world and tell people about Jesus. One of these men was a man named Barnabas, and we'll be introduced to him here. So if you're in Acts chapter 4, let's read 34 through 37, and Luke's just going to give us a little bit of an editorial note that's just going to be foreshadowing in terms of this gentleman. It says about this church in Jerusalem, there was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, that's the twelve disciples of Jesus, also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, that was his tribe, a native of Cyprus, that was the island he lived on, He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, that's all we get about Barnabas to start, but it's important. Luke is a great writer. He's doing some foreshadowing. We're probably going to encounter Barnabas later. Thanks, Luke. Apparently, he took a, a literature course before he wrote scripture, all right? So, we see two great choices that Barnabas makes here, and I just want to mention them to you because it's the first pain lines that this gentleman's going to cross. The first is this. Barnabas is not a native Jerusalemite. We have no indication that Barnabas spent any time with Jesus. In fact, he's from Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean. We we, we can understand that Barnabas was probably like many of the earliest Christians. He had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He had listened to the apostles preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And he crosses the pain line of believing that the one that he had expected, the one that he had read about in his scriptures had finally come, had risen from the dead, and had paid the penalty for human sin. Barnabas believes in Jesus. And upon believing in Jesus, Barnabas would have been baptized and prayed over to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as we have seen within the entire corpus of the New Testament over the past year. So Barnabas is crossing this pain line of saying, you know what, this is not a heretical sect. This is not a cult. Jesus is Lord. And if if it means being baptized, I'll do it. I will trust, okay, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the first pain line he crosses. But the second pain line he crosses, and this is the one I really want to focus on as one of our three, is that he connects to the mission of the church, and he really connects to the mission of the church. He participates in it fully. 
Imagine for just a moment if you went and found a new church today, and the first thing the pastor looked at you and said is, if you're going to be part of this church, go ahead and sell your car. Sell your car and bring the money here to the church, and we're going to distribute it to anybody as they have need. You'd be gone in an instant. You'd be out. You'd imagine that it's a cult. You would not want to pay for the pastor's jet, and you'd decide you weren't going to do that. All right? So, so this, is, this is kind of what's going on here, except that it's not compulsory, it's not what's being preached. But this early church in Jerusalem needs to make it so that Colin, if he becomes a Christian, can come and, and hang out in Jerusalem and stay there, even though Colin's got no money and no place to stay. And we might say, well, Aaron's got a place to stay, you stay with Aaron. And Colin's like, well, my shoes are pretty threadbare. And we're like, that's all right, Barnabas just sold a field. Here's some money, get yourself some shoes. Are you hungry? We'll take care of that. This is what's taking place in Jerusalem. This was the mission of that church. They weren't gonna be able to stay forever. They weren't going to be able to, to do this forever, but for a time, they were taking care of anybody as they had need with the proceeds from these amazing gifts. So Barnabas, a native of Cyprus, who has relatives in and around Jerusalem, who had ancestral land somewhere around Judea, goes and sells a portion of his property and says, I'm all in. That's a pain line. That's, that's a tough thing. That, that he, he believes fully in the mission of the church, and he holds nothing back. He's in. And not only is he just in financially, he's in emotionally. I love that they give him a new name, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Some of you have come into Victory Life, and you are Barnabases. You immediately connected to the mission of the church, and you are encouraging those who are part of the church, who are doing the ministry in the church, and this is how this guy comes in. He wants to make sure everybody knows he's all in, he loves what the church is doing, and he's going to encourage everybody there. I love Barnabases. But the pain line that Barnabas crosses is so instructive to us 21st century American Christians today. It's really instructive. And it's really a decision that, that many of us have to make eventually. Are we going to cross that pain line and go, boom, I will participate in the mission of the church that I attend? I will be part of making disciples and winning people to Christ as my church does it, as opposed to I am sort of a free agent in Christianity and I enjoy the church that I'm a part of, but I'm not really participating in the mission of that church. See, Barnabas is willing to make the connection to the mission of the church, and it's going to put Barnabas in position to do even greater and greater things. And with that said, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and following. Now we have left off this man named Saul. Remember the great persecutor of the church last week? The one who was imprisoning this very same church in Jerusalem, finding men and women, throwing them in prison for being heretical Christians. He goes to Damascus. He wants to throw them in prison. And on the way, he meets Jesus. And that other hero of the scriptures we talked about last night, random, last week, random dude named Ananias goes to him and connects him to God in a powerful way. Well, things weren't going good for Saul. In fact, Saul, in his zealousness, began to preach about Jesus in Damascus and received death threats. And they were so real and they were so keenly felt that Paul had to be let down in a basket out of the side of the wall in Damascus and try to make his escape. Saul who is eventually going to be Paul, who's eventually going to write Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and First and Second Corinthians, is going to found churches all over the Mediterranean world. Saul is a man without a church. He's a man without a home, a man without a country. He's a traitor to the Jews that were persecuting Christians, and he is an unknown entity to the Christians of the world who he was once persecuting. He's got a problem. Let's read what happens to this Saul in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and following. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. That's the whole church. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But the son of encouragement took him and brought him to the apostles. That's the leaders of the church, the original 12. And declared to them how on the road he'd seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus so Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. 
And he also spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Those were the Greek-speaking Jews, but they were seeking to kill him. So when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, if we were following the life of Saul right now, we'd be kind of sad for this guy. Because yes, he persecuted the church, but he goes to Damascus and he's trying to do the work of the Lord, and it doesn't go right for him there. They're trying to kill him, so he's got to get out of Damascus. And he's eventually going to make his way to Jerusalem to the mother church, and nobody's going to want to see him there because he'd persecuted them and been terrible to them. But when they finally accept him, what happens? They're going to, somebody else is going to kill him. So he gets sent off home to Tarsus, and that's where we leave Saul for a time. But I want us to focus for just a minute on this Barnabas character again. Here he is, the one who was foreshadowed in Acts chapter 4. He makes his great reemergence in Acts chapter 9. Barnabas steps in at just the right time for Saul. Because as we know, Saul is not yet Paul. God has not completed his work that is going to bring about the, the, one of the greatest writers in the history of Christianity, one of the greatest missionaries in the history of Christianity. Saul's not yet Paul. And he's going to need to be legitimized. There's going to have to be folks all over the Greco-Roman world who had heard of his persecution that, that needed to know that he was truly a Christian now. So he goes to the mother church. He goes to Jerusalem. He's trying to make his way into the very circles of people he used to imprison and persecute. Can you imagine this? Could you imagine? Okay, let's, just, let's, let's take a couple angles at this for just a minute. Just imagine for a moment that I came into your yard and kicked your dog. How would you feel about me, I don't know, for the next eight years? Imagine for a moment that, 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 that for those of you who are parents, that, that somebody had been mean to your kid and pushed him down. You, you'd have trouble with that person forever. Saul had done worse than that to the church in Jerusalem. He'd imprisoned moms and dads. He's gone into households and dragged people out and committed them to prison. He was a terrible person. But at just the right time, putting things on the line that most of us could never put on the line, Barnabas goes and grabs Saul's hand, says, you come with me. God can forgive anybody. God can change anybody. And I believe he changed you. The great connector chose to cross an amazing pain line here to connect someone else to the church. Could you imagine? I can't imagine taking somebody by the hand who had been mean to one of your kids and saying, forgive this guy because God's gonna do great things through him and he needs a church too. This, this is the pocket change that Barnabas is paying out in the church in Jerusalem. You know the concept of pocket change? Every time you do a good act, a good service, something kind, you put a little change in your pocket, but every time you gotta do something hard, that makes people question you, you gotta pull out a little change and pay it. Well, Barnabas is emptying his pockets for the sake of another human being. I can't imagine how hard it was for him to bring, bring Saul into the fold, but Barnabas doesn't just bring Saul into the fold, he takes Saul to the only place where Saul can be legitimized. He takes him straight to the original disciples of Jesus. He takes him by the hand and says, uh, Saul, would you like to meet Peter? And that's exactly where he takes him. He connects him to the church in a way that only the son of encouragement could. Barnabas has the in. This is his church now. See, he connected to the mission of the church. He believed in the mission of the church. He became a, 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 a paragon of virtue within the church. And because he did that, he is able to do incredible things like bring the former persecutor into the family. And he takes him straight to Peter. He's willing to hand him off. I love this. You know what Saul says when he becomes Paul later? He writes in the book of Galatians that, that Barnabas took him to Peter, and it says he stayed with Peter for 15 days. Do you see this? Do you see the, 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 the level of involvement the early church has, the des deep-seated desire to make sure men and women get discipled? The leader of the church goes, yeah, you can stay with me. For 15 days. Now, this cannot be our discipleship model, folks. Do not bring me your friends and ask them to stay with me. Not going to do it. I'll have lunch with them. I will meet them in my office. I will have coffee. But I've got five kids and Bella the Beagle. No one's staying with me. This is not our discipleship model. But I did speak with Pastor Otto and Buffy this morning. They said you could send them anyone. 
So they are willing to house anybody. They stayed with Peter 15 days. These people were passionate about connecting people to God, passionate about making disciples. It mattered to them. Barnabas crosses a pain line, Peter crosses a pain line, and then the individual members of the church cross the pain line because they accept him. The very ones that he persecuted accept him. Still stinks, though, because he preached too loud again. And the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews who are not yet Christians, they're seeking to kill him as well. It becomes a theme in Paul's life. If anybody wants to see that, 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 that Paul paid greatly for his early persecutions, he paid greatly. Remember, Jesus on the road to Damascus said to Saul, who becomes Paul, you'll see how much you'll suffer for me. And so they find out that Saul's going to be killed, and, and they, they send him home to Tarsus, where he's originally from. And Saul's a man without a church again. But I can't get over this handoff of Barnabas. And I want to tell you today, folks, there are folks at the fringes of Christian society who you interact with all the time. They need someone to connect them to the mission of the church. You can't be their only discipler. You can't be the only Christian connection that they have. They need you to be a Barnabas, a son of encouragement, and take them by the hand and lead them to other Christians. Lead them to people who can disciple them and lead them. You don't need to feel like you have to be the lead discipler. Was Barnabas the lead discipler of Paul in Jerusalem? No. Peter became that. But someone had to get him to the right person, right? And you can't disciple everybody. Not everybody's in the right place of life, in the right spot. But can you take somebody by the hand and risk crossing that pain line and saying, you know what? If it costs me pocket change, if it costs me time, if it costs me effort, I believe in the mission of the church so much that if I get you in here, God's going to arrange it so that you're discipled by the people who God meant to disciple you. Is this resonating? Is this making sense? Somebody nod ahead. I need one head nod, right? I didn't have two cups of coffee this morning. I had one. So I have no idea if this is connecting, all right? It was good Dunkin' Donuts, but I, I, I dismissed somebody who wanted to bring me Starbucks, and I shouldn't have. I would have been fine either way. Should have got that second cup. See, this is powerful stuff, folks. This is a powerful ministry model. Let me take you by the hand and get you to the next person. Many of you have taken the workshop, probably 60 or 70 of you, our tell-the-story element of our mission, and we talk in the workshop about the findings of an evangelism pastor in Australia who also is a, is a, is a DO, he's a medical doctor, his name's Sam Chan. Sam Chan's an interesting guy. He's really done studies as to what's working in evangelism in the world today. And Sam Chan's entire discipleship model of bringing, not discipleship model, forgive me, evangelism model is based around barbecue. And so he meets somebody who's not yet Christian, who doesn't know anything about the faith, and he invites them to a barbecue, except that he's got Christians at the barbecue too. See, he realizes that he can't do the work of bringing people one step closer to Jesus all on his own, but if he can connect them to others in his church, it might happen. It might just, it might just click, and this person might just get discipled. Just got to hand somebody to the right person. And that doesn't mean that, that you bring everybody in here and, and send them right to Pastor Autumn Buffy's house. You don't have to do it that way. They might not be the one to give the handoff to, all right? But God's going to lead you, and God's going to direct you if you're truly passionate about the mission of the church, but it goes back to the first point. If you're not passionate about the mission of the church, it's really hard to connect someone to the church, right? And I'll just go back to this, and this is a very simple Christian concept, and I'm not even gonna give you a scripture quote to back it up. God's given us two great gift folk, gifts, folks. When Jesus returned to heaven and is waiting right now for more and more people to come to faith, that's what we learned from Romans chapter nine, that's what we learned from first, second Peter chapter one, that God is, is waiting for more and more people to come to faith before Christ's return. When, when Jesus left, he left us with two great gifts. He left us with the spirit of God and he left us with the church, both. And we can't neglect one for the sake of the other. They're the two great gifts that Jesus gave us. And Barnabas is completely immersed in the life of the church. And he knows exactly where to take Saul. And that's going to pay dividends for decades. In fact, that's not even fair. We know who Paul becomes. It's going to pay dividends for the last two millennia. That he connects Saul where he needs to go. And the ministry, the eventual ministry of Saul is going to be legitimized because of what Barnabas does. One more pain line to talk about. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 19 and following. 
Because God's not done with Barnabas, and we know Saul is not yet Paul. So what's going to happen next? Well, this is a powerful story. I wish I had time to unpack all of it, but here we go. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and following. Now there were those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Just stop there. Who had their arms folded and was nodding their head in assent at the persecution that started with the death of Stephen? Saul. Saul. All right, let's keep going. They went as far as Phoenicia, that's Tyre and Sidon, and Cyprus, and Antioch, which is in Asia Minor, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some among them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch in Asia Minor, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to stop again. I'm so sorry, but in this context, Hellenists means Gentiles. It's different than the Hellenists we saw back there in in chapter 9. These are people who are Gentiles at this point, all right? So they're now preaching Jesus to non-Jews. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with these random people from Cyprus and Cyrene, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. I gotta unpack this for you. We got plenty of time. We're not, we're not even close to an hour. All right, we're doing great. Let me unpack what's going on with you here, folks. This is important. This is a great movement in the history of the Christian church. Antioch, as far as we know, was the first widespread place of Gentile mission. The church is now spreading out to preach to non-Jews, and it's it's who's doing it? Random people. Folks from Cyprus and Cyrene, unnamed heroes in the scripture who are going, you know what? If Jesus really is the fulfillment of the, of the scriptures, if Jesus really is the one described in the book of Isaiah, well, then he's for the whole world. So we're going to go to Antioch, and we're going to go ahead and preach that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And they didn't even have the benefit of, like, the book of Romans to help them with the theology. They just went ahead and preached it, and many people were coming to the faith. Now, Antioch was the third biggest Roman city at this time in history. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and there was Antioch. It was massive, it was huge. And it was not the easiest place to preach. In fact, Antioch was known for its licentiousness, its debauchery. There were Roman satirists who wrote that Antioch was a filthy place with filthy people, with filthy morals. It's a rough place to preach, and it's in the middle of this very spot, okay, that God begins to do an amazing work. So, it reaches the ears of the mother church. Peter and James and John, James, the brother of Jesus, go, what? Gentiles are coming to faith in Antioch. Well, we gotta get our hands on this because we wanna make sure that they're with, really within the faith, that this isn't just some, some weird movement that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. You know who we'll send? Let's send Barnabas. Now, what's Barnabas's title? Just son of encouragement. He's not, he's not an apostle. He's not even a deacon. He's just Barnabas, but he is so ingrained now in the mission of the church that they go, Barnabas, you're our apostle. You're the sent one from the sent ones. Go and find out what's going on in Antioch. And he gets there and he goes, this is legit. This is real. They're believing in Jesus. They're turning to the Savior. They're reading the Old Testament scriptures to gain knowledge. They're interested in what's going on here. And I'm all for it. And by the way, I'm Barnabas. I'm your new pastor. I mean, this is, this, is, this is interesting, right? In essence, he, he goes, and he's the new pastor. He's sent from Jerusalem. He's the new leader. Imagine that for just a minute. You show up next week, some random person walks up and says, hey, I'm your new pastor, right? 
Well, where's Pastor Matt? Well, he's still here, but I'm the new pastor. It'd be weird, right? This is what's going on. Barnabas is so good at whatever he does that he goes and he becomes the leader of this church. And then in a move that is unprecedented in the history of senior pastordom, is that a word, senior pastordom? If not, I'm writing Webster. So here we go. Barnabas looks at his new church and says, I'm your new leader, good to be with you. I'll see you in a month. And he goes to Tarsus. Now, now, now you say, what do you mean? He's, uh, th- see, we, we think, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Pastor Aaron drove from here to Akron, and then he drove back. We live in a different world. And Luke doesn't waste a lot of words to describe the journey to Tarsus, but it was 150 miles on foot. That's, that's probably a month's journey when you're Barnabas in the ancient world. Three weeks at the very least to get there, find Saul, and bring him back. All these years later, some scholars believe 10 years later, Saul has been in exile, if you will, in his hometown. Barnabas has it in the back of his mind. God's not done with Saul. I gotta go find him. Did you see the word? Find him. Find him. He's just going to Tarsus in hopes that he'll find Saul there. And what happens? He brings him back and says, he's going to lead with me too. The great connector wanted all that Jesus had for the church in Antioch. And he wanted all that Jesus had for Saul. And this church in Antioch is just getting started. We're not even going to get to look this week at the rest of their story. Their story is incredible. We'll be there next week. But I want to show you what the great connector does. See, he takes his desire to see the church flourish, knowing that he doesn't need to be leading this church alone. He needs somebody like Saul. He needs a scholar. He needs somebody that's been trained under Gamaliel. He needs somebody that can show them in the Old Testament scriptures how Jesus connects every single dot. But he also realizes that this church needs a Saul, and this church and Saul need to come together like this and be changed forever. But Saul isn't doing what God's called him to do. Saul has a further place to go, and so he's going to go and connect Saul to this church and connect this church to Saul. See, this confluence of wanting the best for God's mission in the world and wanting the best for individuals has to be our ministry model. It's what we're after. We don't just want the church to flourish, we want people to flourish. We want people to become all that God has for them to be. But that was a painful journey that Barnabas made. That was tough. I don't know of any of us who have gone on three-week mission trips just to find one person and get them back into the mission of the church. This is a big deal. He crossed a major pain line to bring Saul and the church in Antioch together. But that has to be our ministry model, folks. It has to be what we're after, wanting to see God's church ignite, but realizing for God's church to ignite, we have to connect people and get them on mission in the very place that God wants them to go. There are many of you who are passionate about the church. You're passionate about what we're doing. You're faithful. You're passionate. But there's a missing link between the church and those who are on the fringes of your Christian society. And I'm going to ask you today, are you ready to grab them by the hand and connect them where they need to go? Will you get down in the cold water, and fully immerse yourself in the work that God has for you to do to connect others to the mission of the church. Because it will be shocking, and it will be tough for a moment, and it's going to be hard at times, but sometimes you just need to dive in and do all that God has for you to do. And there are lost sheep at the fringes of your world that are sitting in Tarsus right now, that have gifts and talents and abilities, but they're not using them for God at all? Will you risk going to to Tarsus for them? Will you risk grabbing them by the hand and saying, you know what, you have so much to give. Don't stay there. Come back in. I know you've been kicked out of Damascus, and I know you've been kicked out of of Jerusalem. Antioch is where you're going to flourish. 
Will you grab them by the hand and bring them in? This is ministry. This is discipleship. Connection, connection, connection. You're probably thinking of a couple of Saul's in your life right now. They they, kind of know about God, or they may know about God. You may have even prayed for them at some point. They once had a church. They kind of had a church. They don't have a church. But you're certain that they are not living in all God has for them. Will you cross the pain line to go after them? That's what Barnabas did. We mentioned last week that Saul could not become Paul unless Ananias heard from the Lord and risked a lot. And Saul still couldn't have become Paul unless the son of encouragement connected to the mission of the church and connected him to the mission of the church. He was all in for the church and for others, and he loved bringing people together. Let's bow our heads and pray today. God, each one of us has a work to do. It's why we're here. Each one of us has people that you mean for us to affect. It's why we're here. Lord, sometimes we get lost in our own activities and world. And we miss the very simple premise that there is no one like the Lord Jesus. There's no one greater to know in this life or for eternity. No one greater to serve for this life in light of eternity. We miss some of the work that you have for us to do. Lord, sometimes it's just very, very practical. We don't have to go out and preach on a soapbox. We don't need to have a fully formed testimony to share. Sometimes we just need to believe that if we go after people, you will disciple them. You'll take them where they need to go. God, will you remind us today that you are always at work? Will you remind us today that disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to risk rejection at times? if it means someone saying, yes, I will. Will you remind us today that your heart is for the one out of the 99? And Lord, if we stand in a place today of just not knowing how all this works, just help us to focus on pointing people to Jesus and trusting that he can rewrite their story. God, make of us a church of connectors. Make of us people who will cross the pain line if it means someone else coming closer to Christ. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, would you stand with us today? If you don't stand, you can't leave. So, so glad to be able to spend time with you today. And I just want to encourage you today, Saul may walk into your front yard this week. He may knock on your office door. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready be fully convinced that God has more for that person than they're experiencing right now. Lord God, send us from this place with a blessed assurance that Jesus is ours and the blessed hope that you want to become Lord and Savior to others. We thank you for the time we've got to spend today. Dismiss us now with your blessing. Amen.